Welcome. This talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. So last week, we started a topic of intimate awareness intimate awareness. Uh, The word intimacy usually we associate with getting to know somebody much closer. You're developing intimacy in a relationship or a friendship. And this time we're using the word intimacy to suggest that we're working with mindfulness to get a much closer relationship with this body and mind and heart, with this being, that the intimacy is internal through mindful awareness. And that's what, when you are working as a mindfulness practitioner, you are developing intimacy with what's in your body, what's in your mind, what's in your heart, and what's happening in the present moment in real time. And the Buddhists taught that very often we walk around in a state of delusion. He calls it delusion. That's not to be critical. That's to say that we don't really know what's going on externally or internally. We don't really know because we're not here. We may be checked out or pushing something away or disassociated or just lost in a story in our head. And so we don't know what's happening or lost in an opinion, a feeling. So mindfulness practice is about getting us intimately here with what's happening internally and externally uh, and coming closer to our functions inside of body and mind so we're clearer, we're not deluded by our own um, inaccurate thinking or Uh, storytelling or carried away by a very strong emotion or memory that we're landing here fully present in a grounded balanced way that could give us some ease and some peace some centeredness and hopefully some wisdom I like to tell this cute little story because it's Halloween um, of uh, a friend of mine who lives back east where everybody has basements. Anybody from back east where you have a basement? And sometimes they're kind of dark and yucky, moldy. And very often the washing machine is in the basement. So if you want to get something, you've got to go down this creaky stairs to the dark basement that's cold and damp. And so it was around Halloween. And um, my friend had washed her husband's uh, big black raincoat and put it on a hanger and her son saw it and knew there was a great opportunity there to scare his sister so uh, he knew his sister would come and they've been watching scary movies for Halloween and you know getting their costume ready so he knew that she'd come down the stairs to get her um, soccer clothes and out of the dryer and he got into the raincoat and put on his mask and got some red blood 
and just waited uh, behind the doors at the bottom of the stairs. <laughs> and in the brotherly fashion, um, came out. She got down the stairs, and he came out in the raincoat and the mask and the blood, and uh, you know. And she reacted by doing what? Screaming. Screaming. <laughs> right away. Um, and the story is that she developed a phobia about going down basement oh. stairs. It stayed with her. So what does that mean as a way to talk about the third foundation of mindfulness? Why would I tell you this story, right? We do this all the time. Your mind gathers information through the sense doors very, very quickly the amygdala part of your mind without you even knowing that it's gathering the data. And particularly around what's safe and not what's safe, because our ancestors uh, spent <coughs> thousands and thousands of years just trying to be safe and survive. So we're really rigged to looking for what's safe. What's okay? Should I be worried? Am I safe? Is my body safe? Is my mind safe? And we take in this data very, 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 very quickly and we form an assumption based on the past. For this little girl, I go down the dark stairway in the basement and there's a boogeyman. <laughs> you know, he reinforced her belief, right? And then she got stuck in a very strong emotion, terror, yell, scream. We do this, a form of this, all the time. Your mind is spinning a story and it gets connected to emotion. Uh, and a feeling, and we're creating these scenarios that aren't accurate and real, and we don't, we get caught, and in that way we suffer. So I'll come back to that. So, so I wanted to give you a Halloween interpretation of the third foundation of mindfulness, right? So that there's that nerve in your body called the vagus nerve that when your brain takes in something it's going to react strongly if it's if there's a threat and a lot of us are walking around with a lot of anxiety and tension and fear because we're perceiving a lot of threats that aren't there in our modern world so I'll come back but we also talked about the four foundations of mindfulness as a way to develop this intimate awareness. Last week, for those of you who were here, we talked about mindfulness of the body as the first foundation of mindfulness and anchoring in the body to anchor in the present moment experience. So today I had you practice for those of you who did practice taking deep, long breaths. Anybody do that before they actually started? And what happened when you did it? Did, did you notice something? Calm down. Yeah. yeah. So we want to keep reinforcing that bringing awareness into the body calms the central nervous system down. And when we're calmer, we can see more clearly. It's kind of easier than to develop concentration on your meditation object because you've calmed down. So this may be something to practice in your meditation practice at home by starting grounding in the body in some way and using the breath in that way, deep, long, and slow, uh, really calms the central nervous system uh, and allows us to maybe sit with less agitation 
So I asked you that again to, to show you, to demonstrate mindfulness of the body helps us land in present moment awareness and get us more connected to what's here now. And so practice grounding in the body. The second foundation of mindfulness is about uh, we're taking in stimulus through the sense door and because our ancestors had to survive, maybe they were in a jungle or a forest and they were hunting with wild animals that could harm them or there were uh, neighboring wars, warriors coming with spears, but they had to really be vigilant uh, to survive. And this is in our DNA and in our body brain. We're, we're hardwired. So very often, without us knowing, we're going, I like this, I don't like this, or I don't sense that I like it, I'm fogged out, or I'm kind of neutral. right? And then we react, I don't like it, I'm going to push it away. I'm going to reject you or push you away, or I'm going to get out of it. Or, I like it, give me more, give me more. We cling a little bit. All right. And sometimes we're just not here to notice. We're not even here. We're fogged out. So, and you never know which way your brain's going to go. Because everybody's amygdala, everybody's part of their brain that's very quick in reacting is a little different. And your brain is different all the time. But if we're practicing and noticing whether we like something, we don't like something, and how we're reacting in our body, then we're primed to work with that third foundation, which is what we're talking about today is mindfulness of thoughts, of feelings, of emotions, called chitta, mind and heart. We become even more aware. It leads us to it. So I'm having a conversation, and I'll give you this example, and we'll do a few readings. Um, so Thursday nights, I have an ongoing commitment with a Dharma buddy to call at 8.15, which is pretty late to do things sometimes. And the rule is that we meditate for 10 minutes together on the phone. And then we um, do an inquiry together into the four foundations. And the way we do this is, just as I'm saying to you, we start with reflecting on what's happening in our body. That's where we start. And we share what's going on in our body. And then we look at uh, what we're pushing away or rejecting, you know, or clinging to. Second foundation, and we kind of talk that through. We take turns. One person does mindful listening and holds a space. The other goes into the experience. And then we look at what we believe about what it is we're talking about, the experience, the situation. And uh, then we can use, in the fourth foundation, um, the, the uh, curiosity, compassion, kindness, mindfulness, wisdom, to really look deeper at what is unfolding. So Thursday night, phone the friend, 
and um, I had just come back from work and uh, the last patient that I saw triggered a reaction in me that had so much grief and pain, to be honest, mm -hmm. and sadness of um, where this person was, the situation they were describing. I identified with this person in terms of having family members and knowing this experience, wanting things to be very, very different for this person, for our society, for the system. It was just deep, deep grief. My whole body was really consumed with it and some fear and worry for, for this person. Um, and I went into the 10 minutes of meditation. Wow, that felt like a really big relief uh, to just sit quietly and not uh, stay in my reactivity. You know, not stay. It was just a, a beautiful, warm space to fall into where I wasn't experiencing so much reactivity. And then we began to inquire and that intimacy to see how tightly I was holding my body because I didn't like what was presented. I didn't like it and no one else would either. It's just the way things are. Um, and I could see the tightness, the clenching of my jaw and neck and the guarding of my heart. You know, you can feel this physical sensations. When we do that, when we can go and name and feel the physical sensations, we're already landing in mindfulness because you are being with it and noting it, but not lost in it. Being with it and noting it gives the body a chance to calm down and know. Know with awareness. Awareness knows without being reactive, pushing, rejecting. That's where wisdom lives, right there. Wisdom lives right there. That's a doorway to wisdom. So already the present moment experience was being with the sensations in the body and the fact that so much energy was going into rejecting what I didn't want to see or know. And that was causing suffering. So that's the second foundation. I can feel that movement of rejecting. Or or in, in, in some ways we wouldn't even say I. We would say this is the reaction of a body. This is a reaction of a body that doesn't want to feel sadness or grief, a very difficult emotion. Um, and if we stay with that, we know from neuroscience you are literally changing your brain and developing a different pathway into less reactivity you know, and more of a, a capacity for wise action, wise speech. Um, and, and it's an opportunity in some ways not to reject aversion or not to reject the pushing away, but to, to allow the mind to embrace wholesome qualities of present moment awareness. So when I could see in the mind, third foundation, right, the story that I was telling, this should not be happening to this person. Well, in truth, it is happening to this person. And all the events around it are happening too. And institutions are acting in the way that they're acting. And it is happening. That is the truth of the way things are, right? 
we begin to unhook from those thoughts. So third foundation, you are not lost in the thought. You're not lost in the sea of emotion and you're not lost in the sea of thought. In using the concept of an ocean, this thought is a wave. This emotion is a wave, right? These responses are waves. And it allows us to not so much identify as the waves, but to drop into the ocean of beingness and space. So you have more space and compassion. And you can rest in awareness, rest in stillness, not get so lost with the tide of life, which can be very, very difficult. And in this way, we take a refuge. We take refuge because you're dropping into a spacious way of being. You're no longer so attached. And in that spaciousness, we find these beautiful qualities. We call them the paramis of wisdom, compassion, equanimity, stillness, strength, resolve, loving kindness. They arise to support to support us in this journey of awakening, in our being. They arise naturally to support us and unfold. And we can touch into these beautiful <coughs> qualities when we're not so lost in the movement of thought. We're not so lost in the movement of thought. We're not lost there. We're seeing the momentary blip. And we like to say all the time, you hear this all the time, the mind is like a monkey. It swings from limb to limb. You know, you begin to see your mind and your thinking, not as me, but as a verb. It's a brain that's thinking, and it's all over the place. It's just reacting. And when we can step back and not identify so much, so much more space. So I want to say another thing about sometimes things happen that trigger us so deeply. You're lost in intense emotion, grief, sadness, fear. Uh, you're triggered by an old memory. And uh, you can let me know if this is your brain, but my brain will rehash a story or a conversation or something that's wrong, my brain will do it relentlessly. It will just go over and over and over. This brain's been known to wake up at 2 in the morning and start telling the story over again. It's like I wake up and the brain is like having the conversation again. Me too, sister. All right. Thank you. Isn't that? What is that? Right? What is that? And then you hear the mindfulness teacher say, just note it. Just name it. Just feel the sensations. Just be with it. And it will dissolve. Not dissolve it. Right? It's haunting you. Weeks go by. You're losing time and space reviewing something. And it's usually something you can't change. Right? It's usually something or someone you can't change. So there's some funky repetition going on, right? And what we can say about that is certainly a deep old neural pathway, an old groove has been triggered. Something from the past, something that's made us feel very vulnerable has been triggered. 
um, probably most likely something from our family or some early trauma has been triggered. And we're just back there helplessly, like a tire in um, the snow that can't get out. This isn't a good analogy for Californians, but if you were back east and it snowed, and you're sometimes you're trying to get your out the car out of the parking space in the snow, and you press on the gas, and the, the tires just go round and round, and the car doesn't move, and you hear the car going, Zzz! Isn't that feel like that when your mind is stuck on something? It's stuck and the emotion is intense, your thought is intense, your wounding feels intense, or your loss feels intense. Um, so, and you're naming it and nothing is happening. You're practicing, nothing is happening. Time to um, do something else. Many of us will, some, will take a little medication around that time, right? Um, or uh, get some ice cream or you know whatever your coping is. So those are the times where um, you really need to work with body and mind, like using that deep breath, finding your soothing quality, and um, bringing compassion to this body and this mind and heart. Not, it's not necessarily yours. It's just the way minds and bodies work. It's bodies, minds, and hearts. We all operate this way. As a matter of fact, our DNA is more alike than not alike. And we all come from very scared ancestors. We all do. It's not like there were a lot of choices. So your body and mind is just doing what bodies and minds do, more or less. And some of us have different and bigger triggers than others. You know, and some of us are highly sensitive and more sensitive. So, um, so you want to bring in a lot of compassion at this moment. May this body and mind be free of suffering. You know, just may this body and mind be at peace, be at ease. And sometimes you have to really pull the mind off the object. My friend was telling me um, the other day that um, she was walking and trying to, beautiful nature and beautiful nature, trying to look at all the greenery and the flowers and the birds and the plants. And um, she kept um, ruminating over an argument. It just kept, she was walking the argument. Her mind was just rehashing and hashing and hashing the <coughs> argument. And she stopped and she heard that um, phrase, wait, W-A-I-T, why am I talking? And she just told her mind, stop talking. Like, just, you know, like, why am I talking? You know, one more time. And so you pull the mind back to the object, the body, the breath, the sensations. You give the body and mind some real compassion. But when you're working with all this, you're in your third foundation, knowing thought as thought, knowing mind as mind. And you're not so caught in the story of it. At um, Long Beach Meditation, when Victor was teaching, he had a phrase that I, I kind of loved and hated. He would say, uh, it's your mind, stupid. That was our phrase. And we put it on t-shirts and coffee cups. Because he would talk to, like, a lot of times, you would just hear your mind having terrible aversion to something. And then you get there, and it's perfectly fine. 
you know, the stories that you tell are not always accurate. But we can easily get lost in all of these stories and talk ourselves into um, states of mind that are so agitated. That's the third foundation, is looking at your mind. Is it agitated? Is it tight? Is it filled with aversion? Is it filled with greed? Is it sloppy and delusional? Is it foggy? Uh, is it... Um, is it angry? Is it anxious? And so you're not so much thinking, but you're looking at the state that you're thinking in, and you're knowing the state, and that is mindfulness. An example of that is um, on our Saturday sit, it can be so quiet, you could hear a pin drop. It's very silent there. It's off the street. And uh, I used to crave that silence. I couldn't wait for Saturday morning to sit where you couldn't hear a thing. It was like, oh, the craving was there. So in the third foundation, I would know that my mind wants something from this sit. It's craving the silence. It just wants it. So bad, you know, and I'm clinging to the silence. I'm going to have a sit where nothing is going to be heard. Yay, you know. And then this huge garbage truck pulls in. The minute you go like this, the garbage truck pulls in and starts removing the garbage from the week. There's a nursery school that meets there, and you hear, you know, it's loud and annoying. And uh, for many sits, I would just be so angry at the garbage truck. Like, how dare they interrupt my perfect silence? I worked so hard for this sit. I worked so hard to find a place that would be perfectly silent. And now this garbage truck is coming in when it shouldn't, you know. So in the third foundation, you're not lost in your story about why is this garbage truck breaking my perfect meditation, but seeing the agitation of the mind that's meeting the garbage truck and seeing your aversion that's meeting the garbage truck and looking at the state of the mind that's looking. The garbage truck, Ajahn Chah would say, is not bothering you intentionally. It's not saying, let me bother Wendy's meditation on Saturday morning attempt, check. You know, it's not doing that, right? It's not coming to get me, but my mind is getting my mind. That's your third foundation. And when we know that with wisdom, we're more free. We're way, way, way more free. So, uh, I will read you a few things, and then we will work in some small group with this, okay? So hang in there. I'm going to read you one or two more things, and then we'll break in small group. You have been very patient. So Jane loaned me this amazing book, Nevermind. It's from Sayadaw Utejaniya. And here's an example of practicing in the third foundation on restlessness. Does anybody get restless? Okay. So you don't need to try to restrict or rein in a restless mind. If you're restless on the cushion, you don't need to change it. Just recognize that if the mind is scattered, that it's scattered. The fact 
that you recognize it means that something is already at work. Just know gently without getting lost in the thinking. The mind is like a monkey going from tree to tree. How easy is it to control the monkey? Not so easy. Trying to control the restlessness requires more energy and concentration and will fuel even more restlessness because we're rejecting our state, right? Remember that this thinking has nothing to do with you. You just want to know every time the mind thinks and be happy that there is awareness of this mental state. When the right attitude comes in and you acknowledge that a scattered, restless mind is not a problem, not a problem, then the mind will become more stable. So you're not rejecting your state, right? You're just knowing it. You're naming it, and it's not a problem. It's just another way of being. It's, it's just life doing its thing. If you know every time there is thinking, you, the meditating mind, don't get drawn into the thinking, right? You will get caught up in the thinking when you don't realize what's happening. Instead of taking the storyline as your object, just know that the thinking mind has arisen. Thinking mind thinks about garbage trucks and thinking mind, right? You know, it just, it's arisen. Okay. When uh, one new thought has happened, you know. When another new thought has arisen, you know. Many, many, many new thoughts will arise. Then you begin to observe that the mind that you thought was yours is not yours. The mind is mine, not mine or me. It's a big awareness, but it's great to say, you know what, especially if you have a lot of anxiety uh, or tension or you're a worry kind of person, it's really great to say, hey, this is a gift from my ancestors. Thank you. Right? <laughs> it isn't all you generating worry. Oh, it's a good old hard wire. You know, and, and, and then if you have family that your, your immediate ancestors that reinforce it, right? So you don't have to feel so, um, be so filled with contempt and rejection of yourself. Right? Here. All right, I'm going to read one more thing, and then we're going to break into small group. So this is from um, Almas, and I read this uh, last week, and I want to read it as a way for us to do some inquiry in small group. So I'll read it again. Some of you heard it. Um, Under normal circumstances, <clears throat> we experience ourselves only partially. We do not experience ourselves as we are in ourselves. In our authentic reality, our essence, our present moment experience. Instead, we experience ourselves through thick veils of ideas. So remember that phrase, thick veils of ideas. I'll say it one more time. Thick veils of ideas. Ideals, beliefs, images, reactions, memories, desires, hopes, <clears throat> prejudices, attitudes, assumptions, positions, identifications, ego structure, labels, accumulated knowledge. In other words, through the influence of all of our past experiences. We literally experience ourselves through the past, through the totality of our personal past, 
instead of freshly in the present moment. Only when we have experienced another way of knowing ourselves is it possible to appreciate the enormous effect of all this mental baggage has on our normal experience of ourselves. We see then that our awareness of ourselves has become so fragmented, so indirect, and so burdened by all the mental processing that even what we take to be authentically happening is only a reflection of a reflection. It's only a reflection of a reflection. The mental images and attitudes that determine how we experience ourselves form the basis of our world view. We also experiencing ourselves as a subject experiencing an object. So here he's really going into this normal way of not knowing thought and thinking. What, what the implication, yeah? of what the effect is, that we don't really know ourselves. So come back to that word intimacy. We're not fully experiencing the depth of who we are. We stay at the wave and not deep in the ocean. The third foundation of mindfulness is an invitation to dive into the ocean and let go of that sense of self and self-identification into stillness and being. So we're going to break into small groups of three or four. Please do three or four. If you do two, then you'll modify a little, but try to do three or four. And um, don't talk till we ring so we can stay. And the question that I'm going to ask you is what gets in the way of present moment experience? So each of you can take turns and can you remember that question? What gets in the way of present moment experience? It's good for you to repeat the question in your group and allow it to hit you fresh like a bell. What gets in the way of present moment experience? My desire to be liked and loved by everyone. Right? That's one of them. Yeah. Okay, thank you. What gets in the way of present moment experience? Wanting the world to be right. Okay? So, do that. You have just listened to a recording from Insight LA in Long Beach. For more information, please visit us at insightla.org.